We've come here today to put our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ. Please turn with me to Psalm 118, starting with verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Verse 13, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. I will give you thanks for you answered me and you have become my salvation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So we've come here today to put our hope and our trust in Jesus. What does that look like? Well, first, it means to put our trust in the character of Jesus. Every single thing that Jesus has ever said is true. Psalm 33 says, The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So many of us have come to Jesus and we've asked him to create a life for us because we realize we can't do it on our own. We have to have Jesus. But the struggle comes when he says, yes, I'll create a life for you. Now let go of your expectations. Let go of your ideas of where your life should go and what it should look like. Let go of being a success. Let go of becoming somebody. Let go of what you think your financial situation should look like, your job. Even let go of the control in your marriage and your relationships, who and when you'll get married, and if you'll have children, let it all go. 
But don't let go of your hope. And don't let go of Jesus. Because if we let go of that, we'll become frozen and hard. And Jesus spoke about that. He said in the end times, in Matthew 24, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And right here in Psalm 118, talks about how Jesus has become our salvation. And this happens when we seek his face with our whole hearts, when we turn from ourselves and turn away from our sin. When we take our hands off of our lives. But there's one key that I'd like to shine the light on today. In my experience with following Jesus, it's probably the most important functional way to follow Jesus. And that's to stand on the promises. A wise man once told me, when you stand on the promises, they will stand on you first, but they'll bring you deeper into Jesus. They'll expose your sin. They'll deal with your heart. And it will bring you into a process that the gates of righteousness will be opened in your life. Your relationship with Jesus will come alive. If no matter what you face as you're going to the word and asking Jesus to give you a promise over your life. If you don't turn away from Jesus. If you don't give into your pain and your hardships. But you continue on that path with him. Persevering, enduring, not giving up. This is when the door of heaven will open. Jesus will come. He will become your salvation. In the word, if you look up become, it means to exist or come to pass. The whole reason Jesus exists is to be your savior. He will answer you in this place. And the promises will be given to you. But don't forget, it all starts with hope, with trust, with letting go of all of our expectations, coming into agreement with and clinging to the one who came to save us clinging to Jesus Christ. Jesus is amazing. Jesus, it says shouts of, there's a song that I'm not going to sing right now, but this is the song. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. 
So as we come together as a church, as a family, as a church who has a heart to pray for our our city, for our country, for everything that America is facing, let's walk in victory by putting our hope and our trust and everything in the hands of Jesus. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. The message, the grief of God's heart. The grief of God's heart. Almighty King, America stands on the precipice, and surely you are grieved over the sin of this nation that you called to be a light on a hill, a nation of righteousness. Lord, as we look at the grief of your heart, would you come and meet us? Wash and cleanse and change what's happening in this nation. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The nation was incredibly wicked. Money had become the ruling power. The governing authorities were utterly corrupt. The stench of uncleanness was in the land. Every sexual sin was lifted up. Sound familiar? Sound like America. Every time a demon was cast out in the New Testament, it is referred to as an unclean spirit. We have had the illusion that our government leaders could be sinning against God, but not sexually unclean. And now the news is rift with demonic, occultic practices that Mrs. Clinton was for years a part of a witch's coven. That every unclean thing has been happening among those who are leaders in our nation. This is what was happening in Israel. And the heart of God was grieved. And he was ready to bring judgment upon the nation. Now, all of us in this room have experienced grief in our life. We've lost a wife or a husband or a child. We've lost a father or mother. We've lost a friend. We have been disappointed in a relationship. We have lost a job. None of us in this room have escaped the touch of grief. And you know that as we live longer, there will be increasing levels of grief that will come to our hearts. We know that that is a part of being a 
a human being in a lost and sinful world. But God is also grieved. And part of what God begins to do is bring us into his grief. And he brings us into his grief by enlarging our grief. Regardless of how you may try to forget your grief, things will happen in your life that will bring that grief crashing back into your heart. There was a woman by the name of Hannah. She was married to a righteous man, but he had two wives. Penea had children. Hannah had none. She wanted, in that culture, to be able to birth a son for her husband. She could not do so because God closed her womb. That's what the word says. First Samuel, the first chapter, God closed her womb. Why did God close her womb? Because God wanted to bring her into grief so that she could then begin to play a part in the grief of God to rescue the nation. Please understand today, you do not live in an isolated little space where only you are affected by the events of your life. When a husband chooses to cut off his wife, That touches everyone in his circle. When a man decides to cheat, it touches everyone in the circle. Vice versely, when a person decides to become clean before God, it will cause all of the unclean in their life to be troubled. We don't act alone. Virginia Satir, famous psychologist. Conjoint family therapy. At the workshop, she brought volunteers up onto the stage and she tied each of them to someone else with a rope until everybody in the whole group was all tied together in some way. And then she told one of the men, now would you please go to the back of the auditorium? Without even thinking, he headed for the back of the auditorium. And suddenly, people all around him are being jerked. And they didn't want to be jerked, and so they pulled back. Then he told another one, you go to the right side. You go to the left side. Pretty soon, everybody was strung out. And everybody was jerking other people. And nobody could go anywhere. They were all tied together. Do you understand? You have a whole group of people tied to you. And when you decide, oh, I I think I'm going to do this. And off you go. You jerk everybody who's related to you. 
And some of those people may fall down. Some of those people may be hurt. And you say, what did I do? You just willfully set about doing what you want to do without regard for those who are tied to you. Guess what? We're all tied together. We're all tied together. And grief rises out of our all being tied together. That's why I prayed in the group today, Lord, give us humble hearts. Because in our pride, we think we can just go do what we want to do without recognizing the people we're going to jerk around. Hannah. Her womb is is closed. She's not willing to accept that her womb is closed. She cries out to God. Year after year, she is taunted by Panea because Elkanah, her husband, loves Hannah more than Panea. But Panea is producing the kids. Perfect setup for conflict. God will set you up for conflict. He'll begin to call you to walk righteously. And you'll say, oh, but what about this guy tied to me? What about this woman tied to me? What about this? What about? When you decide to follow Jesus, you're going to cause a lot of grief. And you're going to have a lot of grief. You're going to influence other people. And some won't like your influence. Hannah is grieved beyond measure. Her heart has grown bitter. You know, there are some things that I want. Some things that I've been crying out to God about. National radio. On one hand, I'm saying, Lord, I'm tired of doing this AM radio. Can I stop? I'm tired of it. If I'm going to expend my energy, Lord, let me at least expend it in the marketplace. All he says is, do it. Endure. Trust me. So I jerk all of you along with me. And you have to face... The radio bill, just like I do. Remember, I said I'm not going alone. We've got to all face it. Some of you don't like it, and you don't, you don't think it's fair. Why are we putting all this money into radio when we could be putting it into church ministry? It drives me to my prayer closet to cry out to God for this nation. We just have a, a, little, a little place where we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus in this city. I want a wife. I need a wife. You need me to have a wife. I mean, I, I'm sitting there just there and somebody starts talking about Jan playing her tambourine and suddenly a, 
whole big world of grief and joy opens. It reminds me she was not mine. She was ours. She belonged to Jesus. I didn't own her. If I'd owned her, I I wouldn't have let her die. But Jesus owned her. And he said, your work is done, but Ray's isn't. So come on home. I'll deal with Ray. This grief in our hearts causes us to weep before God. But God in the process is drawing us into his grief. And Hannah doesn't understand this. And all she can do is go to the altar of God at the tent of meeting once a year when her husband takes her to the temple. And all she can do is go there and weep and cry in the bitterness of her heart, in the pain and the anguish of her soul because she wants a baby. And the man of God, he rebukes her. And says, get rid of your wine. He has no spiritual discernment. Eli represents the modern church in America. Fat, lazy, living the lifestyle. No spiritual perception. She says, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. Do you understand? God can't bring you into his grief until he deeply troubles you. Boy, I wish that weren't so. God has to deeply trouble you before you will understand the grieving heart of God over this wicked world. This is not casual stuff. This is where we begin to recognize that God is calling us into the deep It's not shallow. She says, I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Oh, now she's getting ready for God to do something astonishing. We're not ready for God to do something great in our hearts until we're willing to enter into the grief that God has brought to our hearts. As long as we salve ourselves with the world's entertainment, as long as we salve ourselves with with relationships and with all the stuff that we want, and we make life a bowl of cherries... We're not ready to enter into the grief of God. And we can't be used by God until we enter that grief. Eli answers her with his religiosity. Boy, I hate religion. He says, go in peace. Go along, little girl. Go along. Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant what you've asked him. I wonder how many times he said that to people. God is good. 
Oh, God is good. Uh, God is grieving. Don't tell me God is good. Tell me God is grieving. You can't look at America and not imagine that God is not grieving over this nation. God is grieving over the wickedness and over the danger that we now face as a nation of utter destruction. And if in his great mercy he doesn't reach out and rescue us, America is going to be destroyed. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes, verse 18. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now, please hear me clearly. There is a grief of God that we are to enter, but you cannot enter the grief of God and not have it result in joy. Okay? You go out weeping, and you return with sheaves. If you do not enter the grief of God, you will not understand the implications of the wickedness of our nation and of our culture and the sin that so grieves his heart. But when you've entered into that grief and he then begins to move in your life and in your heart, he brings hope, he brings joy. For he is a God who answers prayer. He is a God who heals. He is a God who restores. She goes home. And you know, I I love the way the scriptures just says it. Doesn't beat around the bush, just says it. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, heard of God. America needs a Samuel. Samuel is only birthed out of the prayer closet, out of entering into the grief of God. You enter into the grief of God. And he drives you to pray. And you experience the bitterness and you experience the sorrow. You experience the deadness. And you know that nothing can happen if God doesn't make it happen. And then God comes. And he loves you. And he births something out of your life. that he's going to use to salve his grief, to change your family, to change your relationships, to change a nation. Now, I want to show you something that is very important. Hannah's bitterness of soul with her weeping, year after year, finally forced her to make a vow to God. 
the purpose of our entering into the grieving is to force us out of our selfish pride and cause us to make a vow to God that we will give him what he wants from us. And until we're willing to make that vow to give God what he needs for his grief, he will not answer our prayer. What she wanted was a baby boy. What God wanted was a mighty, righteous prophet, a man of God. Look at this, chapter 1, verse 11. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will be ever used on his head. In other words, he will be a Nazarite. He will be righteous. You want to move out of the grief of your heart? And make a vow to God. And give to God what he's asking you to give. Some of you have made a vow. I want that money from me. I want that relationship from me. I had to make a vow to the Lord. I said, Lord, if you'll give me another wife. I make a vow that she will first belong to you. And she will be for your use before me. And that's when he said, she's coming. It seems like an oxymoron. But what you ask God for, he wants you to make a vow that you will give it back to him. He wants you to give back to him what you are so embittered in your heart that you need. You enter into the grief of God, but it's your grief. You feel it. You want it. You want that perfect relationship. You want that marriage. You want that job. You want that money. You want, you want, you want. And you grieve because you don't have it. And life is so hard without it. And God says, okay, I'll give it to you, but you're going to have to give it to me first. Hear me. Whatever you've been praying for today, you're not going to get it. Until you give it to Jesus. Has to belong to him. A Christian is called in scripture. A doulos. A doulos is the most insulting term you can use. In the culture of the Bible. A doulos means a slave. A slave that does not own anything, even his own body. A doulos is a person who has no property rights, no 
no rights of marriage. A doulos is the property of the owner. And when we enter into the grief of our heart, the end result that God is moving us toward is that we would make a vow to him that we would totally belong to Jesus. As doulos. That's why the book of James opens with James saying not, hey guys, listen up. I'm the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. He doesn't say that, even though he was. He says, I'm a doulos of the Lord. I am a slave of my half-brother who's younger than me. whom he dishonored and did not believe in, probably until Peter got a hold of him after Pentecost. I want you to hear me. When you enter into the grief of your heart because of the lack that is in your life, you are in the beginning steps of entering into the grief of God. And as you push away the grief of your heart and you refuse to feel it, you refuse to participate in the grief of God and you cannot be used for the kingdom of heaven. When you instead begin to cry out to God over your own grief, over the relationship that's not working, over the job that's not happening, as you cry out to God over your lack. You don't push it away, but you honestly deal in the prayer closet with the promises of God. You are led then to make a vow before the Lord. And that vow brings you directly into the grief of God's heart. You cannot begin to participate with God in his grief without the Lord rewarding you with his joy. She brings Samuel. When she weans him, she brings him, and now suddenly her womb is opened and she begins to be fertile myrtle. She begins to have baby after baby. Because now God can trust her. And she has birthed a godly man. But as a little boy, he enters into a religious system that is utterly corrupt and filthy. The sons of Eli are playing sexually with the women who work at the tabernacle of the Lord. Eli will not rebuke his sons. Bribes are taken. Monies are received. The nation is corrupt. The leadership of the nation is utterly corrupt. The people are corrupt. Every wicked thing is happening in Israel. And God needs a young man who will stand up and speak faithfully his word 
And so in verse chapter 2, verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the boy, before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. And each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. I love that picture. I've been a little boy most of my life. And the Lord has had to keep coming back and dressing me in the, that next little robe. Encouraging me to grow up. I wish I could have grown up faster. It would have saved me much grief. I'm sure Hannah would have said, I wish I could have caught on much sooner and just made a vow to give the boy to God. She would have escaped much grief. But you know what? We don't learn very quickly. We're kind of slow on the uptake. We think it's about us and ours. It's not. It's about God. It's about Jesus and his. Eli is very old. He's blind. He's lazy. All he wants to do is sit in his chair, and eat filet mignon. The offerings are not respected. They are dishonored by the sons. Everyone sees it. Everyone knows. So the Lord sends a prophet to speak to him, to rebuke him. He does not listen. And then comes the sweet, sweet story of Samuel laying down as a little boy in the temple of the Lord. I wonder if he was sleeping beside the, the candle, the candelabra, or if he was sleeping beside the table of showbread or, or the altar of incense. I wonder where he made his bed. Every morning he'd have to get up and pick it up and put it away, roll it up. It was his job to dust, to clean. And suddenly the Lord calls him. The Lord comes and stands beside his bed and calls him. And Samuel answers, here I am. And he gets up and he runs to where Eli was. And he says, here I am, you called me. And Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Now please hear me. It's vital that you know who is calling you. He is calling you into his grief. And you need to know that it's not your circumstances. It's Jesus. He's calling you. The Lord comes back a second time. A third time. And this time Samuel says, speak for your servant is listening. Oh, I pray that you'll say that to the Lord. Pray that. Pray, Jesus, I'm listening to you. Please speak to me. 
I need you to tell me what to do. I need you to tell me what to say. I need you, Jesus. Speak to me, Jesus. You notice Samuel did not go to Jesus. Jesus came to Samuel. That's how it always is. He comes to us. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord speaks to Samuel and gives him an adult message. See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. May I change that? See, I'm about to do something in America that will make the ears of the world tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I speak against his family. I will carry out against the church everything I spoke about it. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Do you understand what that means? Judgment begins in your house. Judgment begins with you because you are in the house of God. And you want to make certain that you are listening to what God wants to say to you and that you're responding to the voice of Jesus and saying, Jesus, tell me what to do. I give up my pride. I give up my anger. I want to hear what you have to say to me, Jesus. I'm hungry for you, Jesus. Please talk to me, Jesus. Some of you have said to me, Jesus doesn't talk to me. Well, it's because you're too far away to hear. You've spent too much time in television, too much time in the movies, too much time on the cell phone. You've got to turn off all this stuff and listen to Jesus. He always comes in a still, small voice. He doesn't come yelling and screaming at us. He comes in a still, small voice, and he wants us to listen to him. He's trying to bring us into the grief of his heart so that the things in this nation can be changed. God loves America. And I don't believe he's done with America yet. God loves this church. He's not done with us yet. He's just getting started. But he's calling us. He wants us to enter fully in and make that covenant with him of due law slavery. That we will obey Jesus. That we will listen to him. The judgment is pronounced on Eli and his sons. Both of them are going to die on the same day. And I'll tell you what, Samuel is terrified. He's just a boy. He's terrified. We will be frightened by what Jesus calls us to say and to do because it will mean some relationships will end. It means some friends will lose. It means some of our dreams we're going to have to let go of. Some of our ambitions we're going to have to let go. And we're going to have to say, Jesus, I want what you want. I'll go where you go. I know you love me, and I want that peace in my heart. 
You know, I confess to you today, I stand before you with absolute peace and joy in my heart. I didn't wake up terrified this morning. I woke up at peace with Jesus. His presence was in the house. I've entered into his grief. Day after day on the radio, I enter into his grief. But also walk in his joy. He told Eli what had been given to him. Eli answered, he's the Lord. Let him do what's good in his eyes. Oh, you really? You, you want your boys to both die on the same day? I mean, Eli is so out of it. And when finally the judgment comes, and he hears that the ark of God has been stolen by the Philistines, he kicks back on his chair and breaks his neck and dies. You know what? I don't want to end my life fat and lazy on a chair at the temple of the Lord where everything of God is stolen away and I kick back in my grief and I die. Can you imagine meeting God after dying on an old fat chair as an old fat man? I don't want my life to end that way. When my life is finished on this earth, I want you to say about me, the Lord was with Ray as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. That's what I want him to say about you. That he loved you. That he called you. That you entered his grief. You entered his joy. You totally gave up all of this selfishness of your heart. You humbled your heart and made peace with those that you're fighting with. Is there anybody in your life today you need to make peace with? Because in your arrogance, you tried to jerk them. I know some of you today have great sorrow in your heart because of the circumstances of your life. Let that sorrow lead you into the grief of God and make a vow that you will follow Jesus, that you will belong to him, (laughs) that you will give to him all the authority and power over your life. No matter what that means, no matter what it costs you, You will follow Jesus. It says, The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. God wants to reveal himself through this word to you. 